Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. In our passage this morning, we have Jesus telling a parable featuring a main character who might be one of the most arrogant and short-sighted and frivolous people ever imagined. Jesus begins the story with the words, The land of a rich man produced abundantly. Now, this little opening sentence is packed with superlatives. So for starters, when Jesus says the land of a rich man produced abundantly, he uses a word that literally means something like the region of a rich man produced abundantly. So we're not just talking about a guy who has a field that had a good harvest. We're talking about a guy with several fields, a network of fields, all of which yielded a good harvest. Add to this the fact that this man is already pretty rich, and his fields don't just produce, we're told they produced abundantly. So it's important to note that Jesus doesn't start with, Joe Schmo had a pretty good day one day. He starts the story essentially by saying, one day Elon Musk won the lottery. <laughs> one day Warren Buffett won the lottery. So as Jesus begins the story, you can imagine that there are probably already some groans coming from the crowd. Once upon a time, a rich man got richer. (laughs) It's not really a compelling story, but even today it's not really an uncommon story. And it's not necessarily one that we like hearing or get too excited about hearing. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. The story continues. And the man thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Let me ask, anyone feeling bad for this guy? Oh, my wallet is too small for all my hundred dollar bills. It hurts my back when I sit on it. What am I going to do? And the fact that this is the rich man's first thought would have been especially shocking in the ancient world because people in the ancient world, if you had an abundant harvest, the first thing that you did was make an offering to the deity of your choice to thank said deity for the gift of the harvest. 
So the fact that his first thought is, what am I going to do with all of these crops and not, I need to make a thank offering for the abundant harvest, would have been so offensive to the ancient audience. Because basically what we have is this rich guy is snubbing God. But wait, it gets better. The guy hatches a plan. He says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones there, and I will store my grain in those. This guy already has barns. But rather than saying, I think I'll build some more barns, he says, I'll tear down my barns and build some new ones to store my harvest. This would be like coming into a massive fortune and saying, I could put my money in the bank. Or... I could buy Bank of America, run it into the ground, and then start my own bank in its place and put my money in that bank. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It's frivolous. But wait, it gets even better. There's this subtle shift that happens in the telling of this story that's one of my favorite things about this parable. The story is being told in the third person, meaning that Jesus is telling the story about the rich man. So you find Jesus saying things like, he said, or he thought to himself. But then after the rich man lays out his ridiculous plan about tearing down his barns and building new ones, he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. And the story continues for a little while in the first person. Now, In case this is bringing back too many bad flashbacks from middle school English, here's what we have going on. The guy starts telling the story for himself. He hijacks the narrator. It's like Jesus created this rich man character, and then right in the middle of the story, the rich man says, I'll take it from here, Jesus. Thank you very much. It's just one more example about this guy's arrogance for all you grammar nerds out there. You know who you are. Anyway, things don't work out too well for this guy. And in a lot of ways, we already knew the end of the story from the beginning. Because whenever we see somebody who has a lot but is greedy for more and more and more, they die eventually, as people tend to do. And they realize that the old cliche is true, that you can't take it with you when you go. So Jesus, who now apparently has permission to tell the story again, delivers the punchline at the end. He says, So it is with people who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Now here's the thing about parables. We tend not to give these things enough credit. Because remember, these are the teachings of Jesus that would eventually get people so riled up that they started plotting to kill him. These things shocked people. They had teeth. And while I think we all like a story about an arrogant, short-sighted rich guy getting his comeuppance, there's really nothing new there. Stories like this are as old as stories. So I think that sometimes we need to linger with these parables a little longer and ask, what's Jesus saying that's new here? What different spin is Jesus putting on an old and maybe a little bit hackneyed theme? And I think the different spin is found in who this parable's audience is. And to get at the perspective and character of this audience, I want to ask a question. I want you to imagine you're in an elevator. Close your eyes if you have to. Picture Sherry Berry's face if you have to. (laughs) 
I want you to imagine you're in an elevator. And you hit the button to go up several floors, and the doors start to close. And as always seems to happen, you hear someone outside running and asks you to hold the doors. And you're actually feeling generous today, so rather than pushing the closed door button rapidly, you actually throw your arm in the door to hold it open. And when the straggler gets into the elevator, you see that it's Jesus. Actual, real-life Flesh and blood Jesus. You recognize him because he has blonde hair and blue eyes and looks like a surfer. <laughs> just like every Israelite did 2,000 years ago. I don't know how you recognize him, but you recognize that it's Jesus. But look, here's what you realize. You realize that you have the opportunity to ask Jesus one question during this elevator ride. What's it going to be? Would you ask something philosophical, like what the meaning of life is, or why bad things happen to good people? Maybe you'd ask what happens to you when you die. Maybe you'd ask something that you've just always been curious about, but no one knows the answer to, like seriously, Jesus, where is Jimmy Hoffa's body? (laughs) Aliens totally built the pyramids, right, Jesus? Maybe you'd ask him something about himself. Like, when did you know for sure you were going to die the way you did? What is the deal with you and Mary Magdalene? I've been hearing some rumors on the History Channel. (laughs) What was your mom like? Before Jesus tells his parable, we find someone with this very opportunity. A guy who can ask Jesus anything. And so what does he ask? Does he ask Jesus about some lingering curiosity or for more clarity about Jesus' mission or ask him what his purpose in life is? No. And this is in spite of the fact that he seems to have some notion of who Jesus is because he addresses Jesus as rabbi. So what does he ask him? Nothing. Instead, he makes a demand. He says, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Really? Like, this is what he says to Jesus. Could you imagine being back in that elevator with Jesus, and instead of asking him one of those lingering questions, you say, Jesus, it's really you. Do my taxes for me. (laughs) Because I'm sure you can get me a better return than the guy at H&R Block. (laughs) Jesus, it's really you. I need you to write me a 15-page paper for my history class. It's due Tuesday. Thanks. What would possess this guy to make such a petty demand of Jesus? Well, in this time and place, when the head of a household died, the inheritance was split amongst all the male children. Not my rule, it's just how things worked in the ancient world. But the oldest male child received twice the inheritance of the others. This was called a double portion of the inheritance. So the guy who comes to Jesus is a younger brother who just saw his older brother get twice the inheritance that he did. How's he feeling? He's jealous. Right? He's resentful. His older brother just came into a bunch of money, and he didn't. And this younger brother, this guy, is the guy that Jesus tells the story to. So maybe it's not a story that warns rich, peoples about, rich people about the dangers of their wealth and how greed can consume them. Why not? 
because there are no rich people around to hear the story. It's only a younger brother who didn't just get rich. But his jealousy is so hot that even when he's standing before the Son of God, it's all he can seem to talk about. Apparently, given the audience of this parable, it's not a story about rich people getting distracted about their riches, so much so that they lose touch with what really matters. It's a story about how we get so distracted by rich people's riches that we forget what really matters. Putting it a little differently, Jesus isn't warning a Kardashian about how wealth can be a distraction. Jesus is warning those of us who scoff at our televisions when we hear how much a Kardashian makes for a single social media post and we get consumed by it. Jesus isn't warning the guy in the $3,000 suit about how wealth can be a distraction. Jesus is warning those of us who see that guy and know it's a $3,000 suit, and we say, who does he think he is? Jesus isn't warning your neighbor with the new car about how wealth can be a distraction. Jesus is warning those of us who can't stop looking out our windows at the new car across the street. Jesus isn't warning the pro athlete that just got signed with a $400 million contract about the greed that comes from having a $400 million contract. He's warning us about the greed that can come from constantly thinking about a $400 million contract. Jesus isn't warning the wealthy about the dangers of wealth. He's warning those of us who haven't listened to a single word of this sermon since I said the word Kardashian because we keep on thinking, how do they even sleep at night? (laughs) You starting to get the idea here? This younger brother was so wrapped up in what his older brother had and what he didn't have that he didn't even seem to recognize the moment that he had with Jesus standing right in front of him. So this passage is a warning. But more than that, this passage is an invitation. You have the invitation. You have permission to not care about sports contracts. You have permission to not care about your neighbor's car. You have permission to not care about how famous a person is just for being famous. Instead, you're invited to be grateful for what you have and remember that you are enough. You are enough with the level of fame that you have or don't have, with the job that you have or don't have, with the friends that you have or don't have. You are enough. Is it ridiculous that some athlete makes $400 million? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know enough about the sports ball to be able to say for sure. We can rage about that. Maybe we should. Again, I don't know. But I do know that what lies behind that rage might be a greed that kills my ability to see God at work right in front of me, so I should at very least tread very carefully. Do your friends get to travel to places that you'll never go? Maybe. Is that disappointing? Maybe. We can recognize that as disappointing. But we can also let that disappointment become a sort of greed that burns so hot that we can't see God in our midst. So instead, allow the valid disappointment, but also make room to practice gratitude for here. In some way, we're all younger brothers looking at our older brother's inheritance and stewing about it so much that we can't even recognize God all around us. 
But I know something for sure. You woke up this morning. You woke up this morning and you had fresh water to wash and make coffee. You put on a full set of clean clothes. You drove in a car. You drove in a car on a smooth road-ish. We live in North Raleigh. (laughs) You drove in a car, though, on a smooth road to come to an air-conditioned room to worship a God who loves you with people who love you. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift we would miss if we opted to focus on what everyone else had instead. Amen? Let's stand together.